You are listening to Engineer's Corner on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Engineer's Corner. I'm Ben, and with me is Phil, finally. Hello, yeah, it's been, it's been a long ways away, but I'm back, so get ready. Yes, intro, or in the last intro, listeners, I said something, I did an episode in, when was it, October, Atso, Brendan mm-hmm. Atso, and I said in the intro that you were going through some life changes, and you moved, and have a new job, and you've been in working overdrive since then, Um so we've uh, this has been three months, I think, almost almost three months since the last episode of this suspension series. And if you want to know where we left off, I would recommend going back and listening to suspension series part one. It's on September twentieth, and that will give you a good idea of where we were and where we're going to go. And then we'll just continue this as much as uh, as much as he can. Uh, I think we're going to try to stick to once a month at this point and see how it goes and if we can do a little bit more later on then we'll do that but otherwise we're just going to stick to this get some good information get some questions whatever that we can ask or we can answer and if you have anything that you listen to this and you have any questions comments whatever you can send them to me it's ben at mountainbikeradio.com and anything else you can send it to phil but uh he is at engineer at mountainbikeradio.com, but he's probably just going to forward it on to me and say, hey, what are we going to do with this at this point? I don't have time because I'm <laughs> working every day of the week, which is totally understandable. So, all right, let's get in this. We're talking suspension. You want to do a quick recap of uh, just basics of where you wanted, where you were and kind of talk about um, leading up to this episode? Sure. So, um, yeah, we'll do a quick little recap. I would say even if you did understand the last episode and you somehow remember it after three months, I would go back and listen to it again anyway. Um, if nothing else, then because uh, it was a great episode, lots of things in it. But really, so basically what we did is we covered, um, talked about vectors, right? And how they have two components, like a vertical and a horizontal component um, in two dimensions anyway. We defined kinematics, which is strictly the motions of uh, rigid bodies or, you know, linkages and whatnot. Um, we talked a little bit about a concept called the instant center, uh, which is sort of like, like it's like, it's like the password to suspension, right? Like once you have instant center, you can back out everything else that you might need. Um, and if you were to design a suspension from the ground up, you wouldn't, for example, you know, when people design suspensions, they don't start with the link length of a bell crank, right? They start with what is my instant center need to look like, or, you know, conversely, what does my wheel path need to look like? And then once you have that, you can, you know, add any constraints, everything kind of falls into place. Right. Um, we also talked about how sadly enough, this series is not going to tell you, the conclusion of which is not going to be, hey, this suspension is super awesome. Go buy it. It's basically like, you know, we're here to inform the debate and kind of tell you like cool things about your bike. But at the end of the day, you just go ride your bike. And if you want to buy a different bike, you should go ride those bikes, too, and then pick one um, that makes you happy to ride. It doesn't really don't get hung up on like, you know, oh, I don't ride 
anything but mini link bikes, right? I don't ride anything but single pivots. It's it's who cares? They're all they're all great. You should go. You can't buy a bad bike anymore. You should go ride your bike. Yeah, and if you're hearing some of those terms, uh, I would, and you, and you don't remember what they are, go back and listen to that because we describe, like Phil said, we talk about it, and he describes a lot of what those are. Yep. So go back and listen to that. And if you're a regular listener to Engineers Corner, you know that Phil's opinion on all of this is there's generally not too many terrible bikes. <laughs> so if you're going to ask opinions of, like he said, of which suspension should I ride and which bike should I get, he's going to have a long list of bikes that he thinks that are do it, try it, and a small list that are terrible, that are not worth the time. Because fact yeah. of the matter is, right now with with everybody doing so much and every company having all these different models and putting time and money into their efforts, it's pretty competitive. And generally, when things are really competitive, that means people have to crank out good products; otherwise, they're gone quickly. Yep. I mean, my personal strategy for buying a bike is like work out, you know, the kind of work really hard to bound my sort of use of the bike. So whether that's cross country racing or that's, um, you know, downhill lane or whatever, figure out and ask yourself, what do I want my bike to do with this particular bike to do? And then go find like four or five bikes that are specifically designed to fill that need. And then, you know, pull one out of a hat or try a bunch. So <laughs> you like, uh, like, you know, Roll 10 years dice. ago, it is because yeah. like if I had, if, so I have a little short list, right. Of bikes that I'm interested in at any given moment. And if tomorrow they were like, Hey, you know, we'll give you a free buck on that list. Which one do you want? I would just like flip a coin or it doesn't matter. They're all great. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Let's get suspension. Sets. Right. Okay. So last week or Last show, whatever. <laughs> Last week. Yeah. <laughs> September 20th. Oh, God. <laughs> um, we talked about linkages and sort of what they all meant. Um, and talked about instant center, right? So today we're going to walk through how exactly you find instant center because it's, you know, super important, right? And I'm telling you, it does. It's like the magic bullet. All you need to know is in the center. So you're like, well, Phil, how do I find instant center? So here we go. Um, so if you're at a computer, um, not while you're driving, but if you're at a computer or something else, uh, go either find a full suspension bike side view or think of your full suspension bike and, you know, profile or side view. Right. And just like, think about it now. So last week we talked about That's something fine. called just the unsprung last week, right? Yeah, well, okay. Hold on. <laughs> It's, we'll, get, we'll make listeners feel like they're just part of it. Like yeah, it's yeah, just it's last fine. Week. Yeah, yeah. Last show, it's great. Um, it all happened so fast. Mm-hmm. So okay, so last show, if you're particular about it, yeah. uh, we talked about something called the unsprung link, right? And that is the piece of the suspension that the rear wheel is attached to. Yeah. Um. So keep that in your head, right? And I'll and so post this. You have, like a good, a, you have a really good diagram that you shared. I will, or with the, in the member group, and I will put that on the show page too. So if you're not somewhere and you want to see exactly what, uh, if you don't have a picture of a bike or whatever, click, go on that show page that you clicked, click to, uh, and go on there and you can listen and look at the picture. That'll be helpful. 
Yeah, and I'll I'll make a second one um, at the conclusion of this episode. Okay, uh, this one's cool. Colors very, and all nice. I got, and I've discovered labeled. one note, and one note is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's cool. For you listening out there. Um, anyway, so you have the unsprung link, right? And what we're doing now is we're going through a step-by-step process and determining, you know, how to determine instant center. So step one is the thing the wheel's attached to, right? That's the unsprung link. So you identify that. That's step one. Step two is, does that share a pivot directly with the front triangle? And then if that's the case, like, for example, on a Kona or on a, you know, pre-2014 transition, um, there are a bunch of other bikes, uh, treks, then that pivot that it shares the front triangle, that is the instant and actually constant center, right? Because it's a single pivot bike. Um, so that means that the wheel path is determined, is, is an arc that is centered on that link with the front triangle, right? Um, so that's what I mean. That's kind of the simplest option. Um, now, if that's the case and there is other stuff attached to it, right? Like a Kona or a Trek again. Um, you're like, well, Phil, that's not a single pivot bike. It is. It's what we call a faux bar, like, but faux as in fake because it's a four bar linkage, but the wheel path is not defined by that linkage, right? It's only defined by the single pivot. Um, the extra stuff on top of that, like the seat stay and the bell crank, that is all it's only function is to get the force, from the wheel to the shock and vice versa, and then uh, dictate your motion ratio, right? So the actual wheel path is determined entirely by the uh, single pivot swing arm thing. Yeah? Sounds good. Good? Yeah. Okay. I'm sitting here looking at your looking at your diagram as you talk, and it's, yes. it's helping me. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, so readers, pun reference, the... Uh, generic bike I threw up that is a what we would call a four bar linkage so that's like specialized FSR um, or now that the patent is up thankfully uh, like transition giddy up suspension um, other bikes that use it I don't know there are a bunch of them it's kind of like the the uh, hmm, not phrases it's sort of like the the best compromise it's the solution that offers the most sort of design freedom i guess it's like the traditional generic i don't know okay it's so if you were to design a suspension and you were thinking well what is a what's the simplest way to get to something that is effective and allows me some design freedom in terms of like ratios and wheel pass it would be a four bar suspension right so again like it's not the best it's just kind of the most common approach um most traditional approach i guess but yeah um that's how that works now so step three uh if it doesn't share pivot with the front triangle this being the unsprung link right then there are two links that connect that to the front triangle so that is what is known as a four bar or a mini link right um so if the if the rear wheel is on like its own rear triangle thing, right? Then that is a mini link bike. Um, so you have upper and lower links like an Ibis or a Santa Cruz or a Niner, 
uh, and this is kind of the most common one. And if I were to speculate wildly, I would say <laughs> we're that, in that business. We're into that business. Um, I would say that the mini link bikes, they were designed as a, not quite a reaction, but designed out of necessity due to the fact that specialized had a patent on the four bar system. Right. Um, because there's no like inherent advantage to the main link. I mean, again, no inherent advantage, advantage to any of these things. Uh, it's just, if you wanted to design something that wasn't single pivot, but you couldn't do the four bar because specialist had a patent on it. You're like, well shit. Okay. Mini link will happen. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting because in terms of, you know, to an engineer, both the quote unquote four bar, like the FSR and horse link, um, and the mini link bikes, they're both four bars of systems, right? They both have, uh, a frame, two links, and then another thing that wheels attached to, right? So once you kind of like understand that, um, makes some more sense, right? So now that you have established that we have a four bar system, um, we're going to go ahead and find the instant center of that system, right? So what we're going to do is find all the pivots that constrain the unsprung link to the front triangle, right? So that's um, two on the upper link and then the two on the lower link, on the lower rocker, right? Whether that be a rocker or the seat stair, uh, chain stay rather. Um, th- so you should have four pivots, right? Two on the top, two on the bottom. Yeah? Yeah. With me? Okay. Yep. yep. So... Now what we're going to do is we're going to draw a very long, very straight uh, line through the two upper link pivots and then a very long straight line through the lower link pivots, right? Now, if you do that, they're going to converge at some point. Um, and where those lines meet, that's the instant center. And that is the point that your unsprung link is pivoting around. Yeah? So, yes. Yeah. So, so get okay. that. So, so with your diagram and I'm going to put this, like I said, in the show notes, the listeners, this is what I'm going to use for reference. If you're doing that with this, can you explain where you would draw the lines with the red bell crank, the Mm -hmm. green lower rocker, and the, you have the chainstay labeled as the unsprung link, but it's kind of the whole piece, but where would you draw those lines? So, so I would I would draw the no. lines, um, and I, we'll we'll put up a second one uh, as well. Okay. But basically, it would be from the place where the seat stay attaches to the bell crank, and then, okay, so so the top line is through two points. Point one is sh- uh, seat stay to bell crank, right, and then point two is bell crank to front triangle. Okay, so that's one line, right? Yep. Because two points make a line. Yep. Um, and then the, the mo- yeah, right. If your line is good. Um, and then the second line is going to be from the seat stay chain stay pivot to the seat, to the chain stay, uh, front triangle pivot. Okay. Those two lines, right. And those two lines will converge, um, roughly behind the front wheel in space. Okay. Right. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that if you can imagine like 
if you sort of constrain that geometry, right, but you move the wheel up through its path, you can see that the instant center moves, right? Mm-hmm. And this is really important because, you know, that's where instant center comes from because it's instantaneous. It is always moving around. Um, and if you track it through space, uh, then that, you know, that'll tell you a lot about the bike's wheel path, right? So, for example, um, when people talk about uh, rear rearward travel, right? Um, what that means is that the instant center is above the the rear axle in space, right? Okay. So if you draw an arc and the rear wheel hits a bump, it moves backwards as well as for upwards, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yes, that's that's what like a rear travel. That's how that translates into a you know rear world initial travel, right? That also leads to things like pedal kickback over bumps. Um, that is actually, it informs how your chain pulls on it and the reaction to that, right? So basically the relationship between a force on the suspension and the instant center of the suspension will determine how that suspension reacts to that force. So braking, chain tension, um, bumps, vertical motion due to rider load, all that you can determine entirely through instant center, right? And we're going to go through that in chapter four because we're going to cover motion ratio in chapter three. Um, but yeah, chapter four will be where does the instant center live and how does that affect how my bike like bounces around? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my, my question to you then is when you're, yes. when you have your list of five bikes at any given time that you like, Listeners are probably thinking, man, this guy, he, he goes through all these analysis to determine all these different, uh, all these different figures, right? Do yep. you sit down, <laughs> plug all these bikes into some modeling software, see where the point of center is, goals, and like, <laughs> I could just see you at a computer pulling up these, these different bikes, plugging in whatever, uh, details you need to do, your point of reference on your little model. And then it just like models and you're looking for a specific little, range of like point of or uh instant center versus all this stuff i can just see you doing that well okay so <laughs> do hey. you do it first of all do you do that and second of all really <laughs> i do that but not to the extent that you're describing okay okay um so basically when i'm when i'm looking at a bike right and kind of appraising it like if i see a new bike on pink bike or something like that uh i'll what i'll do is i'll look at it and i'll kind of pin the instant center, look how it moved through space. And that'll tell you, and then how that compares to the motion ratio. Right. Um, and if you have the motion ratio and where the instant center is through space, that can directly lead you to basically how the bike reviewer will describe the bike. Um, so when bikes are described as like plowy or glued to the ground, those are bikes that tend to have, if not linear, uh, digressive motion ratios. Um, so they like to be deep in their travel. Uh, and they tend to have rear-world axle pass. So the instant center is high off the ground vertically. Um, and it moves around a lot. So that, you know, 
conversely, uh, if the instant center doesn't move much at all, um, and the motion ratio is progressive, like a Kona process, they will describe that bike as like poppy, right? So knowing the kind of bikes I like, um, and how my experience tends to correlate with the media's experience, uh, in terms of like what bikes you like. Yes. I'll go through and be like, Oh, that instant center and that motion ratio looks appealing to me. So, you know, I want to get some time on that bike. So that is the extent I do. I don't actually put it into CAD and like poke it and draw my own curves and stuff. It's kind of a more like intuitive feel kind of thing. Okay. Fair enough. Yes. It's a lot more than just looking at geometry numbers, put it that way. Right. And so actually I, how cool I would put that a be? lot instead of geometry numbers, like, well, they have geometry numbers and then a video underneath showing all right. these details and That'd like moving crazy. through your CAD program or whatever the modeling software would be. That'd be yes. really cool. That would be, um, yeah, like there's no reason that can't happen, right? It's relatively straightforward to generate. Um, I think there's a, I think it's called bike linkage. There's definitely some open source software out there that allows you to do just that. Basically, you plug in your points and it generates motion curves and wheel paths and all this kind of crazy stuff. Hmm. Um, it, it's not it's not hard math to do. It's just math that most people aren't doing. But I put a lot more stock into sort of that initial appraisal of how a suspension moves than I do into like a head angle number, right? Um, or like, I think the only actual number that I care about is chain stay length. Cause that's pretty damn direct. Okay. Um, but like head tube length or I'm sorry, head tube angle, uh, seat tube angle, all that kind of, that's all so floppy and changes. So d- dynamically during a ride. Like it's, I don't put as much stock into that as a lot of people do. Okay. Um, yeah. Answer the question. Yeah. Totally okay. Cool. There's so, bike, so I, I was looking quick. There's bike checker.com. There is definitely, them. it's some guy. He runs like, Bike linkage blog. Yeah. Linkage design.blogspot.com. So this guy, I don't know if he's Spanish or like linkage design. Linkage design.blogspot.com. And it's a Spanish language blog. And he basically goes through all these bikes and generates anti squat curves and, you know, pedal kickback and leverage ratio curves and all these things. And kind of like what I was saying in the earlier episode, um, last week, quote unquote. <laughs> about how like it's all just one small part of the overall design. It's really curious to, like don't even read, just scroll through the different graphs he has. And we can link to this in the notes and you'll see just how dramatically different all the different curves are, right? Even in the yeah, same segment. Crazy. And so the idea that you can have a best suspension is kind of bullshit, right? It's, yeah. Well, it's best for you. Yeah. Well, it's not even best for you. It's well, you best. You like it. For... And you're, so, okay. So we need to lay that one out is it's the best for what you think in your head. You've, you've uh, convinced yourself. It's the best for you at the moment. How's that? Exactly. There you go. That's perfect. It's like your instant center of bike love. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the instant happy point. Right. Um, exactly. But yeah, there it's, it's people get towing up on it 
which I think is, you know, fire to soapbox a little bit like I do. It's the it's sort of a function of the kind of people that mountain biking tracks, you know, people like to tinker and get all excited about it, um, which is great. I'm really I'm in love with that part of the sport. Yeah, that's what it's uh, all about. At the end of the yeah, day, <laughs> but it's just like a lot of people like I think it was the guys on JRA that said they were that ride bikes and people that own bikes. Right. People that own bikes tend to obsess quite heavily about what kind of suspension their bikes have. Yeah. Just a thing. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just trying to learn all this stuff. So selfishly, oh, yeah, definitely. selfishly, uh, that's the whole point of the show is when you came, came to me with it, Great. something in my head I've had for a long time. And now I get to learn. Got to learn so, more yeah. things. No, this site, sorry, I'm just, uh, just poking around here, scrolling through just to see. And there's this, I don't know, this guy, he does a lot of work. Yeah. So basically what he has is he has a program, right? And he basically like pokes the different points because you can derive, you don't need like a CAD model from the suspension guys, right? right? right. You just need to be able to poke these on your screen and then you can pretty accurately map like, the pixel coordinates to the actual like suspension linkages. And then you can generate all this data automatically. So it probably feeds in like coordinate points um, to some analysis program that he may have written or obtained somewhere else. And then it makes all these pretty graphs. Yeah. So, so listeners, I will put that in the show notes. It's linkage design.blogspot.com. And it's all 2017 stuff. Like you go, I've gone through the, like the first three, four pages and it's just, I mean, Focus, uh, intense, recluse, pivot, mm-hmm. firebird. I'm just on the big, bigger bikes at the moment. I think um, there's e yeah, bikes no, and, here, all kinds. Yeah, of stuff. right. So definitely, I, I will put that in the show notes. If you are on the show page, just scroll down a little bit, click on that, and you can keep listening and dig around on here while we're at it. Yeah. All right. So we totally derailed and went off into some direction. Anyway. There. Anyway. So, um, yes, instant centers and why oh, they're awesome. Uh, so the kind of the, the last point I'm going to touch on, um, this show and we can then sort of like chat around a little more implications of this is general rules of thumb for knowing when an instant center, what kind of bikes have very mobile instant centers, right? So a very mobile instant center, it means a bike will respond differently at different points in the travel, Right. So if you can imagine, like, or can't imagine, just imagine a uh, single pivot bike, the reaction of that wheel to the different, uh, you know, ways the suspension is loaded will be constant regardless of, um, or rather constant with respect to a sag point, right? Where you're on the suspension, but a bike with a very mobile instant center, it'll be very sensitive to sag. So if, you know, here you go. If you read in a review that a bike is highly sensitive to sag, then that means that near the design sag point, that instant center is probably, you know, moving quite a bit. So if you were to like go up 10 millimeters, down 10 millimeters, your instant center moves a lot in space. And that makes the suspension response, very sensitive to sag. Um, and if you kind of correlate that in your head, I'm about to tell you, it makes a lot of sense. So thinking back to our little mental picture of instant center, 
what happened, what two factors influence the mobility of the Anselm center, right? At any given point, the length of the links and the parallelism of the links. So as links tend to get shorter and less parallel, right? So like more pointing towards each other, then the Anselm center is moving quite a lot, right? So you can imagine sort of the, uh, the extreme case of this would be, God, I can't, I think it's the Ibis. It might be the Ibis that has the lower link is damn near vertical, right? Um, so that bike, it's, you know, the instant center is very close to the links and it's moving all around all the time. Whereas if you have a bike, like horse link bike, then the links tend to be more parallel and longer so that the instant the center isn't moving around as much, right? Um, and obviously a single pivot bike in center doesn't move. So that's why many link bikes, um, they tend to be more sensitive to sag than other bikes, which coincidentally um, means that they also are harder to get to behave in a more predict- predictable fashion, right? So, you know, like, uh, that makes sense. You know, like if, if you're at a different, However you got there, if you're a different point of suspension travel, whether that's inappropriately set sag or because you're at the bottom of a G out or in the middle of a corner, um, it's going to behave differently uh, and more dramatically differently than a similar bike that has changed its, its sag point, right? Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Um, if it doesn't, listeners, you can send a question. Right. Please send a question. I feel like... Bikeradio.com. Yes. This is a very like sort of rabbit holy like spider webby subject. So I'm doing my best to keep it all straight in my head. But no, it's fair. I don't know how I mean, it's it's fair. And listeners, if <laughs> if they've started kind of zoning out, just stop it. Go back and re-listen to it. Yep. So if that's what I would recommend, actually, if you get to this point and you're like, man, hang on a second. I have no idea. What stop, yeah. <laughs> stop it. You've listened to it kind of now go back like five minutes and just listen to that section again. And I think it'll become more clear. Yep. Yeah. So some bikes have very mobile centers just to kind of recap a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, bikes with larger links, they tend to have more stable instant centers. Bikes with shorter links have more mobile centers. Um, and bikes with more mobile centers are more sensitive to sag and where they are in their travel than bikes without those. Uh, so to sort of compare and contrast, you can imagine a DW link bike like the Turner Flux, for example, right? You know, go through and read your views and they will say time and time again that at 30% sag, the bike was garbage. But I changed it to 25%, which for reference is like, what? five or 10 millimeters on the shock. If that, um, the very, very tiny amount and it changed the bike dramatically. Well, that's because the instant center probably moved like a foot in that time frame, Right. Um, whereas like the Kona pivot or I'm sorry, the Kona, uh, process, it has a constant instant center that is pretty damn close to, uh, like the chain line. So that means that it's reaction to forces is pretty much constant, you know, with respect to sag. So you can set it at 15%, 20%, 30%, and it rides kind of the same. Um, Or at least not as dramatically different as uh, a mini link bike would. 
So that's like my little recap thing. Um, that's good. I'm sure you have questions. What are the, what are the questions? No, I'm, I keep looking at your diagram. I'm just trying to get it straight in my head how the thing is moving, first of all. <laughs> I uh-huh. just keep looking at the diagram and moving it mentally and trying well, so to picture the different bikes and plugging that bike in, you know, with the like you were talking about. And right. Seeing where that instant center would be compared yeah. to the rest of the bike. So I just keep thinking about that and looking at it while you're talking. Even though you made fun of me for it, what I can do is I can <laughs> yes. um, put up like a small slideshow in CAD yeah. uh, and kind of show like how that bike would move through space. Yeah, I, I totally made fun of you because I could see that happening, but that would be, that's very helpful. <laughs> really helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why I was kind of making fun of you, but kind of like, that's a great idea. Yep. Yeah, I can do that. And we can put up a little slideshow thing or a series of pictures. Uh, no, but I think it's a good, notes. I think it's a good uh, description of all of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, like, you know, this is a highly visual medium. Uh, it's, you know, three dimensions through time and we're trying to explain it entirely audio. So it's kind of rough, but it is what it is. Right. Hopefully, it's hopefully the sisters are it, with it. It's rough, but it also is a good intro to this vocabulary. Right, right, because we never, t- you never show up at the trailhead and are talking about the instant center and how the vector, different vectors affect, you know, the suspension or the. You, you don't talk that way. So, <laughs> you, if you did, you probably wouldn't have friends at the trailhead, right? Well, so this this is the funny story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went out riding. Uh, I can remember it very distinctly. I was on a group ride, except um, for Phil, except for me. Hence, here we go. Yep. Uh, and it was in grad school, and I went riding with a bunch of guys from, uh, you know, from school, and we're all out there in the mountain bike club and whatnot. And there are a couple of engineers, a couple of non-engineers, a couple different sorts of engineers and whatever. And they were like, "Oh, hey, Phil, I heard you were like the suspension guy for the formula team. So can you explain to me like why my suspension is different from his suspension and all that mess?" And so I start talking about what we've been talking about, instant center, and their eyes just glaze over and, you know, roll back in their head. So <laughs> people want to hear this stuff. They just don't want to, like, you know, they don't want to eat their vegetables. They just want to eat their brownies. Yeah. This is what I've decided. Yeah. And but the thing we get, is, too, we this, the, the, thing is, the thing is with the show, too, is not everyone's going to listen to it. A lot of people are going to glaze over, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt and I just record, Matt from Just Riding Along, we just recorded episode one of The Trailhead, which is a show for beginners. So we would right. break down and say, hey, what is a shock? Like, where do <laughs> you find a shock on a like, full suspension versus hardtail? You know, that kind of thing. Right. So we really step back and we don't get into any of this detail. Yeah. There's a huge group of people that will be interested in listening to that because they don't know what they're doing. They're just getting into it. But for the people who geek out on the details and want to know how things work and want to at least know some of the vocabulary and uh, some of the reason why and how different angles and different lengths and all the different things affect, you know, their, their particular suspension. I think this is a really good start. Even if you get 10% of it, go back and listen to it again, because then things that you missed, uh, you'll, you'll get. So yeah, go back to that first episode of this series and listen to that again too. Uh, there you go. Yeah, this is like a free class. It it literally it is a free is. class. Yeah, this is complicated stuff. Yeah. 
So, all right. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, I think enough. It's pretty dense material. So yeah, I think it's kind of good for next up ep- next show. What's on tap for the next episode then on tap next episode, we're going to talk about motion ratios. So now that we've established the wheel side of the suspension, we're going to be talking about the shock side next. And a lot of the same principles will apply in terms of vector quantities and stuff. And basically, I'm going to show you how now that you have the instant center in your head, how you can take the instant center and the geometry of the shock and you can directly see how the motion ratio will change um, and like what it will be roughly through space uh, and kind of if it's getting bigger or smaller, all that kind of crazy stuff. It'll be fun. Sounds good to me. So motion ratio and progressive and digressive and constant ratio and crazy things. All right. All right, listeners. So check back. We'll get this one posted. We are recording Sunday night and it'll be posted sometime this week. Uh, There won't be another engineer's corner until next month at some point. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all that. And if you have any questions, comments, whatever, feel free to send them to me at ben at mountainbikeradio.com. Head over to the show page, especially on this episode. We'll get uh, at least some diagrams in there. It would be really cool to get a quick little video or modeling program of some sort just to show people while they're listening. They can kind of dig through that. And uh, that's it. So thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Engineer's Corner. 